Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to once again tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is a from-the-field podcast, and we go where you go to have those mastermind conversations and aha moments that bring you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You may hear ambient noises of various sorts in the background. You may have the feeling that we are broadcasting to you from a laptop and a headset somewhere outdoors, and you would be correct in that I am sitting out on my sumptuous balcony here in beautiful Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, is the hottest city in America. And we are about to have a conversation that is going to, I don't know if it's going to push the envelope or it's going to pull back the curtain or whatever simile or analogy or metaphor we can use to describe it. But this is going to be potentially a very new point of view for you. We're going to be covering how to uncover transformative possibilities and pave the way to unconventional paths to growth. So by combining the unique power of human creativity and curiosity with leading-edge analytics and technology, our guest, who I'm going to tell you about in just a second, empowers fellow founders and forward-thinking business leaders to uncover transformative possibilities, paving the way to unconventional paths to growth. And believe me, I'm all about the unconventional. I think of that song, uh, Grease by Frankie Valli, conventionality belongs to yesterday. And I'm thinking about tomorrow. Our guest, name is Pete Senna. He's a design-led entrepreneur who loves to partner with future forward founders, entrepreneurs, and business leaders to unlock new possibilities and growth. Pete co-founded Digital Surgeons, a forward-obsessed brand experience consultancy. He's a dedicated collaborator who uses creativity to mix visual branding, storytelling, and user experience to deliver results-driven future forward growth marketing. I'm very excited about this. Pete Senna, come on in. The weather's fine. Good to be here, Adam. Good to be here. All right. What I'd like to do here, I read off your official bio that you gave to us. And to me, it's so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. Before we get into some of the points you want us to cover, and you gave us at least five in the green room, what we like to do here is give the guest the opportunity. Tell us a bit about your journey and your own words and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So let's call this behind the tab. Yeah, sounds good. Well, excited to be here and thanks for everybody for tuning in. Um, so just a little bit about my background. I 
really been sort of a self-taught designer developer since I was a kid. And I got lucky early on. I got to work for a really large sports marketing company that uh, if you're into sports, you might've heard of ESPN. Um, and I sort of cut my teeth in sports marketing. And you know how I ended up in that journey is another podcast in itself. But I think ultimately what that allowed me to do at a very early age is get to work on some world-class brands uh, from a design and development perspective. And it was at the early years of the internet um, I'm 39 now, so I'm dating myself, but, uh, at that time we were sort of converting a lot of the more analog programs into digital. So sort of taking, uh, different programs and platforms online. So I got to work on a lot of big websites like ESPN.com and a lot of their affiliates for NCAA and that sort of thing. And that really is where I cut my teeth in marketing and really started to get deep into that. And then through that decided to, to ultimately go and pursue, entrepreneurship. And that's where I walked away and started Digital Surgeons. And in the beginning years, you know, this is probably what, 16, 17 years ago now at this point, we were doing a lot of design, a lot of branding, a lot of website design, app development, that sort of thing. And really that evolved into the, the life that I've turned into today, which, which brings me here with you, Adam. Wow. That, so dating yourself, and I'm about five years older than you, so I got you beat there ever so slightly. You being 40 years old, or 39 rather, you're at the beginning of the millennial generation. Absolutely. Yeah, so all this stuff is your fault, you know, you lazy millennials entitled. (laughs) All right, so you laugh, so you get the point. This is something I've been saying a lot lately. What makes the millennials and all the generations that come after you, such as the Zs and some of the other letters, very unique and very transformational. I've worked with a lot of millennials and believe me, these are not lazy people. These are not entitled people. These are not people who expect everything handed to them for a minimum effort. And these are not the type of folks who say, okay, I got my associate's degree. Where's my C-suite office? That doesn't exist except in the minds of certain folks. I'm going to speak about those minds in just a second. See the millennials and even some of my people, and I'm at the tail end of Gen X, I was born in 1976, we were the first who from a a fairly young age, a college age or earlier, had consistent access to high-speed internet at a point where the internet had a lot of information on it. So we were the first generation who from an early starting point had the immediate access to information, resources, and support networks to question and challenge the status quo that had been handed down from generation to generation to generation through generational patterning. So we're not entitled. We don't expect things handed to them. We don't, we're not lazy or anything like that. All we want is to feel that the work that we do makes a difference, that the world is a better place as a result of our ability to contribute to making it so. When we go to our workplaces, when we go to the businesses that we own and operate, we want to feel that we are generating something of real value, that we have a sense of being invested and have that investment appreciated. Now, you can look at the boomers and the early Gen Xers and all that and say that these people were saying, oh, you people are so lazy and entitled. You don't know anything about a hard day's work. Well, here's the thing. The goal... The gold shack and watching Fort Lauderdale and just the idea that a company is going to be loyal to you has been gone since I fit before I finished MBA school. And that was 20 years ago. And you look at the Gen Xers and the boomers 
And they're seeing these changes in the workplace where millennials and earlier are now the absolute majority. And they're saying, well, wait a minute. I want to feel like my work makes a difference too. I want to know that my contributions make the world a different place. I want to feel like I'm invested in the success of this organization. And I want to feel like that my investment is getting returns as a result of the company or the organization appreciating it and investing back. So why I bring that up is I got some of those vibes and some of those sentiments from the work that you do and just some of the story you told. Because, hey, I was here when we got rid of basically the end of the uh, analog cell phones. So digital analog is right about when I stepped in. And I also bring that up because I'm really curious about this unconventional path to growth and the whole point underlying underpinning of what I just described has to do with challenging what some thought of as being conventional. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of ways to look at that, right? So that, that was a lot. So let me sort of Please unpack. Let me rip, unpack rip, it apart, rip it apart and you have the right to disagree. <laughs> well, it's not a matter of disagreeing, Adam. I think for me, I was really processing and listening to what you were saying, because I think what's really interesting is you know, you're describing the Gen X. I'm obviously millennial. I work with and employ a number of different Gen Zs. I'm a new dad. So uh-huh. um, I guess my kid would fall under Gen Alpha is sort of the, the, the buzzword. I'm pretty sure I've been seeing making the rounds on the internet. But what I think is really interesting, and I actually always advise people not to do, is not to bucket a generation. Because the I'm a millennial or, you know, elder millennial, however you want to look at it. Um, I think when we start looking at age, I think it's very easy for us to get into like either generational ageism or ageism or that sort of thing. So I think the thing that I'm really excited to be here with you today is just talking about how do we shift our mindset? How do we shift our mindset to a growth mindset? Because I know 14-year-old people and I know 70-year-old people right now uh, that have a sense of entitlement. And then I know 17 or 14-year-old people who are starting businesses that are doing 10, 20, $30,000 a month in revenue. And then I know you know, 40 or 50-year-old people that seemingly should be at the top end of their career and that are struggling to get by right now. So I think that there's, there's such a divergence and a convergence. The one thing I like to talk a lot about is how do you shift the mindset into a growth mindset? So Adam, when you think about your guests and your audience, what do you think some of the struggles are that they're facing that I might be able to, to share a little bit of wisdom or unpack some of the things in my journey that might be beneficial to them besides um, some of the generational stuff? One of the big struggles that uh, and big opportunities that our guests have is growing leveraged organizations. One of the sweet spots of our audience is being at that point where you're moving from being solopreneurial or being a lone ranger to building out a team, bringing in on employees, creating organizational structure. And you know, we've all attended the webinars and belonged to entry-level coaching programs that told us that the answer is outsource, 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 outsource. But there's more to it than that. That's a big place you can help us. That sounds great. That's an area that I do a lot of work in. So um, for those of you that don't know me, so my core business is a consultancy, Digital Surgeons. We do a lot of brand experience design, brand consulting for really large organizations. And one of the moments I had a couple of years ago is I had this moment where I looked at all of our clients and they were all venture-backed startups or Fortune 500s, and they were large companies. And I realized that the thing that really lit me up most, that got me most excited every morning is getting able to help solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and small business owners like yourselves. And it was 
in that moment where I started to do a lot of private coaching and private consulting outside of my day-to-day core company. And one of the concepts uh-huh. that I want to share with all you folks today, which is one that I do with all my clients, I'll do it with you guys for free here. And I, I hope you get some value from it, is this concept called the zone of genius. So um, Adam, are you familiar with that concept before I go on about it? I want you to define it in your own terms and go on as long as you want. Okay. Sounds great. So the zone of genius, I originally discovered it through Justin Kahn, who Justin Kahn was the, he's an entrepreneur. He was one of the founders of Justin TV, which was like one of the first kind of selfie live streaming platforms on the internet, which went on to sell to um, a company called Amazon. And if you yep. might've noticed the steps between Justin TV, the step in between was Twitch, which we know and love today. And, and again, I think Amazon bought it for a billion dollars. And Justin was talking a little bit about um, finding your zone of genius. And I was like, what is this zone of genius thing? I've never heard of it. Um, and I started to dig in a little bit. And it turns out that originally it's actually from a great book by Gay Hendricks. And uh, in his book, you know, what he talks a lot about is this idea, the name of the book is called The Big Leap, which is a great book. And he basically breaks Uh down these four different zones. He says, there's the zone of incompetence, there's the zone of competence, there's the zone of excellence, and there's the zone of genius. What's really, really interesting is, and I wish we were here visually, so I can sort of show the the audience a, a sort of chart here. Many of us, as we get more experience in our career, we end up falling into our zone of competence, um, which is our zone of excellence, essentially the things we're really, really good at. But I'm sure many of us are listening, just going, okay, I'm really good at a lot of things, but many of the things I do every day, you know, where we work, whether it's in your home office or in an office um, or, you know, wherever you work, because that's completely been changed because of the pandemic. Many of us, I think, fall victim to playing in the zone of excellence. And the problem with the zone of excellence is it takes a lot of our energy. It doesn't really light us up. It doesn't really fill us up. So what I do Uh when I'm partnering with founders and entrepreneurs is I help them find and discover what I call, what Gay Hendricks called in his book, the zone of genius. And these are the things that you're highly passionate about, that you're highly competent in, and you're great at. So to get back to what you said about the solopreneurs, outsource, I don't think is the greatest word to say, because I think that many of us fall victim to, you know, going to the the proverbial uh, self-help section in, in the library. If you're walking into, you know, a Barnes and Noble or you're going on Amazon, you're buying from there. Problem with self-help books is you buy a self-help book, you read it, you digest it, and you're like, great. Now what's my next self-help book that I'm going to do? Most people, you know, much like diets, you know, we, we jump on these things, we consume this information, but we don't practice it. Um, and one of my favorite examples of that is the four-hour work week where Tim Ferriss basically says, outsource your whole life, get a bunch of virtual assistants in the Philippines, and you can get everything done cheaply. I think the problem with that, and I've tried that, and I've worked with many people who have been highly unsuccessful and highly successful in that, is I think that rather than starting with a place of outsource or not outsource, delegate or hire, place I like to start is really defining, making a list of all the things that need to get done and understand what are the things that you're competent at? What are the things that you're incompetent at? What are the things that you're passionate about, not passionate about, and really seek to find and discover that zone of genius. And I tell the audience this because I don't want you guys all and you gals all to make the mistake I made, which is I ran a business for almost 17 years where a lot of my time was not spent in my zone of genius. Uh-huh. And 
And that ultimately led to a lot of burnout, a lot of unhappiness. And I think the problem that most people make in many generations is they get burnt out and they think that the solution is start another company or go get another job or do something different. When the reality is, it's really about self-awareness. It's about understanding what that zone of genius is. So for those folks that are trying to make the leap from solopreneur to maybe a couple employees or a couple employees to a larger business that's got a bit more leverage, you got to really look at where your time and energy is going. And what I like to do is something called an energy audit. And that energy audit really sort of lets you mark in your calendar, you know, go in your calendar right now, whether you're using Google Calendar or Outlook, whatever you use. And most of these calendar softwares will let you change the color of the appointment. Yep. I want, you to, I want you to go in and change all the colors of the appointments, the things that take your energy, change those to red. And I want you to go into your calendar and change all the things that give you energy and change them to green. And what I tend to do, and some people like to print this out and you know use a highlighter and you can do it whatever you want, either digitally or physically, and really take a step back and look over the past few weeks and what you have already planned and scheduled, look at the things that are taking your energy, look at the things that are giving you energy. That's the place I like to start. And then from there, once you've found the things that are outside of your zone of genius, and that could be administrative work, bookkeeping work, whatever, something that might fall outside of that, then start to think about how you can bring someone on to do that. And that's a great place because once you've defined that, once you've written those things down, now, if you're going to go the outsourced route, maybe find a part-time person or find someone on Upwork or Fiverr, or maybe one of the, the virtual assistant companies out there, you know, like Virtual or Time, et cetera, there's a million of them out there. That's going to let you be really focused on giving away your Legos or giving away the things that you don't want to do. So that's the advice that I would give folks, Adam. And it honestly, I wish I, someone had come to me, smacked me in the head or had me on a great podcast like yours, Adam, and, and helped me realize that 15, 16 years ago, because I have to say it would have brought me a lot more joy earlier in my career as I was figuring things out versus not knowing about this concept until just past year or two. Yeah. And what I love about the way you present this is it actually gets what I like to call forensic. We're going really deep in finding out where the genius zone is. We're finding out what lights us up, what turns us on, and what dims us and what turns us off, which is an answer that each of us can only identify through the lens of our own truth. See, what I made this comment earlier about, yeah, we've all attended the webinars and done the entry-level coaching where the answer is always outsource, 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 outsource. It's, uh, I remember seeing these folks when I, you know, when this became a thing first and, uh, and uh, they would say, Hey, I attended so-and-so's webinar last night and I'm taking massive action. I've hired two copywriters, three webmasters, six social media people, two virtual assistants, a personal assistant and a travel agent. I <laughs> saw one of these. And my first question is, is how much traveling are you going to be doing in the next 12 months? I said, well, um, I, I'm going to be an international speaker on stages everywhere. How much traveling are you going to be doing in the next 12 months? Name the cities and the dates, approximately. Because if it's less than 10, your first item of outsourcing is not a travel agent. And what, what do you need three copywriters for? What do you need five webmasters for? Whatever the hell it was. See, that's just listening to somebody saying, well, you only should be doing the core work of your business and everything else should be outsourced. But what if that doesn't make sense to you? Like, for example, I know of entrepreneurs, including the one I see in the mirror in the morning, who handle their own bookkeeping, even as they outsource all their accounting to a CPA. Do you want to know why I do my own QuickBooks? You enjoy it. Be, 
because, well, I, I don't enjoy it, but here's the energy, the genius I get from it. I get a better picture of what's going on with the finances of my business than any summary report with pie charts will ever give me. I can, I, usually when I'm doing a month's worth of entries or whatever, I keep a notepad next to me and I can end up with an entire page full of notes of things to change, things to consolidate, things to cancel, things I probably should add on because I'm seeing they're not there. Uh, ways to allocate the money differently, uh, ways to take advantage of tax opportunities. And the more I do that, the more it opens my mind because now I have more money for investment and reinvestment. And then it immediately takes me to the creativity of what are smart investments that I could make right now that could move this business forward, maybe get it more clients, maybe move it to a different level of income flow that will open up even more gates for me. I can't access that energy anywhere else. That's why I do it. I can light a cigar and go for a walk. It's not going to give me the same level of thinking on those topics is being hands-on with the data will. And plus, it only takes a half hour every month. It's not a hardship. Now, if I get to a point where I have seven multi-million dollar companies and 34 limited liability companies, that becomes unfeasible. But I'm not there right now. Yeah, I was going to say 30 minutes a month. That's pretty impressive, Adam. Yeah. I think well, my, that's, team's, got, that, my that's, team's got like an hour a day of, uh, of, of general stuff like that. We have a whole finance team for that. Yeah, well, you well you may have more ventures, uh, more lines of business. You may have a different uh, position in the marketplace, which is fine. Um, I also have the advantage of automatic download of bank statements and having a lot of this stuff pre-coded. So half of that half hour is just review. Nice. So next thing I am wondering about is, and maybe we covered this, or maybe it's something we haven't hit yet, but what to you, Pete, is an uncommon truth do you believe that a lot of people know about? An uncommon truth that, a, that not a lot of people know about or that a lot not of people a, know about? Not a lot of people know about. Got it. Hmm. And if we already covered this and what we just said, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to some of your points you shared with me at this point. And oh, no I know that you really, really just let us off with a bang with uh, what we shared over the past five minutes. No, I appreciate that. I, I think an uncommon truth that not a lot of people know about is 90 plus percent of the things that we worry about never happen. Uh -huh. So what I tend to tell people is, you know, try not to live the pain twice. Let's assume the thing that you're the most worried about. Maybe it's you're, you're afraid that, you know, think about the, your audience for a second. Maybe you're the most afraid that you're going to lose all your clients and, uh, or you're going to lose that key employee or something's going to happen. Um, and you're worried about it all the time. Um, in most situations, that's not going to happen. The worst that you think is not going to happen. Uh, but in the event that it does happen, now you have to live it twice. You have to go through that pain twice. So yeah. that's sort of an uncommon truth. I mean, I know it sounds a little trite for some of you folks that are listening to this, but I said some the other day and they looked like I just told them like rocket science. So, yeah, well, uh, I have actually a tip for our audience. And this is something that a couple of my coaches gave me way back in the day. Uh, let's say you're afraid of losing a client because they're a pain in the ass client. They're a high maintenance client. And uh, you're spending 90% of the time on this one client that sucks all the oxygen out of your business, out of your life. And meanwhile, you've got 20 other clients you just love and would love to spend more time with. But this one massive pain in the ass just keeps 
dominating your days. And I could go on and on and on about how they do it. And it leads to the point where you end up smashing your printer in a thousand places, pieces out of frustration, <laughs> which I cover in my book, by the way. Uh, and the tactic that two of these coaches gave me, I did two separate coachings with two separate coaches uh, in the same week. And they both gave me the same advice for those clients. Just fire them. No, don't, don't even try and work it out. Don't even try and have it come to Jesus moment. Just fire them. Now, yeah, that, now here's the, here's the reason why here, I like that. Yeah. Like here's that. what they, here's what they wanted, why they wanted me to make that bold move because at the point, at that point in my trajectory, I was the opposite of bold. I was somebody who would, was laying up nights fretting about, oh, what can I do to make these clients like me? What can I make them do to not be such pain in the asses? So what the reason they did this is they had me do this is because they wanted to show me that I really was in control of my business. And I could just say, I don't want to work with that person. Fuck them. They're fired. That's, that's part of it. The other piece of it is that if that client actually wanted to work with me and they wanted to be a client that I enjoyed working with, that would be a more effective way of opening the conversation about working together more effectively than yet another, how do we relate to each other type friendly woo-woo chat? Being cut off all of a sudden will make them think, holy shit, what do I do now? And, yeah, if they, and, if they, and if they want to be here, uh, they're going to come to the table a lot more ready to work things out. And the thing is, is um, I'll tell you about those two clients uh, that, that, that I ended up firing. One of them uh, came back and uh, I really did not want to work with her. And she recognized that, I, that she didn't want to work with me either. But she asked nicely, uh, I understand you don't want to work with me and that's fine. Uh, I don't want to go over the reasons why. I don't think it matters at this point. But what can we do to get together enough to finish the project that we've agreed to? Okay, that's a valuable conversation. We worked it out. We got it done. She moved on. I moved on. Okay, and the other one, uh, they just said, well, okay, well, I can, I can get this stuff done for $5 an hour in the Philippines. And I say, okay, uh, just be prepared to work a lot of evenings chatting with your resources in the Philippines. If you're a night owl, have at it. You know, it's an interesting, interesting story there, Adam. And I haven't had the pleasure of reading your book, but but now I, I might need to. Um, one of the ways that I would think about that a little bit differently, if I was coaching, you know, your your earlier self, which sounds like yeah. uh, just the, in the story that you told, is I would look at. Okay, I think you said you had about five, uh, about ten clients. Um, is twenty? I think twenty. Okay, even easier, even easier. So I'll put my uh, my good old math class skills to work. So let's say that client paid you five thousand dollars a month just for, you know. Easy sake here. You mentioned you have a lot of solopreneurs, so that, that's probably the, the, pretty- okay. Let let me let me. So I want you to give you an. I want you to give the most accurate assessment as possible. Actually, this was 15 years ago, and uh, I admittedly did not have a strong enough alignment with my own value. It wasn't five thousand a month. It was more like eight hundred a month. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So let's so let's assume that they're paying you eight hundred a month. That's actually. Yeah. You know, believe it or not, it's even easier for for me to sort of use this analogy. Well, let's see, say, I was okay, helping so, you. Yeah, no, you helped me. So you got so you got eight hundred a month. You got twenty clients. So you're making about sixteen thousand a month. So the way the way I would say look at it is, for you to take that eight hundred dollars, and for you to to spread that out throughout your twenty other clients, you're basically going. All you'd have to do to make up for that client once you 
you know, exercised your boundaries and, and, you know, politely broke up with them is to basically go to your other clients and find a way to get each of those other clients to spend $40 more a month. And I think yeah. one of, one of the really easy things you can do too is, you know, what I always like to say is if, if you came back and said, Hey, I can't get my, my other clients to spend 40 bucks a month. What you could then do is you can go to all those clients and roll out a referral program and basically say, Hey, for any of the clients that you, any clients that you introduced me to, if there's anybody else that you, that you know, that would be able to get some of the value that I'm delivering to you, you know, really, really appreciate the referral. And then from there, um, that sometimes can open up a lot of additional possibilities. What I was going to yeah. say to the, the group, just using the 5,000 number, because I know that's a pretty common consulting fee for for small businesses these days that I've been seeing that, is... Yeah. Well, five grand is what a podcast reacher plays, uh, pays at the connect level, which is our most popular elite level. So that's about where I am right now is $5,000 for a 60-day project. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So in, in, in that case, let's assume you had... That was today. And let's say you divided that by 20 clients, you're really looking... You know, again, it's uh, let's say you lost out on that client. It's really taking that number and then dividing it by those total number of clients. You're asking for two fifty per client, so it's it's a very achievable thing to say. Okay, what's something else you can offer to your existing clients that they'd be willing to pay fifty dollars, two hundred fifty dollars, whatever it is. So I think what I like to offer up to folks is saying, a lot of times the solution is not fire the client and go get another client, which again, you were awesome enough to do, Adam, which is great. I think sometimes people are afraid to do that. What I often like to offer up sometimes is finding a way to augment that additional revenue from existing lines of business, which believe it or not, is is a lot easier to do today than it was you know, when you and I were first starting out our businesses a couple of years ago. Yeah. We had another guest on this show recently. Uh, I think it was like two or three months ago, and I'm not recalling the name. Uh, part of what... Uh, Part of their recommendation on how to build a business, because they're, they're involved in SaaS, uh, uh, software as a service. Sure. And so with SaaS, and you can think of so many SaaSs out there, I'm going to use a ver- one that a lot of people um, in this particular industry have heard of, Active Campaign, which is one of your common e-marketing slash project management slash uh, customer flow type online applications. Sure. Now they have upsells and upgrades where you can hire them to do stuff for you. And that's basically the model right there. So the SaaS, the software as a service that people subscribe to at a very reasonable rate, something that they're unlikely to cancel unless they're in real dire straits. I think for me, I pay like 99 bucks a month or maybe it's 125, something like that. See, I don't even know exactly. Uh, So they get people retained at that. And then when you they pay that 125 a month, let's just use that number. Well, now they're importing all their email contacts in. They're building their history of sending out broadcasts. Uh, they, they're doing the work with ActiveCampaign to get their deliverability up uh, using their algorithms. They've set up automations with follow-up sequences. They've got deal flows set up. I could go on and uh, Oh, and web forms. That's a big one too, web forms. They're a pain in the butt to change. Uh, now you got them locked in and they may get to the point where they say, you know, I need somebody who uh, can actually manage my email marketing for me, who really understands this system. Well, I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe they offer either that service or something very similar to it, or they have certified partners where there is an exchange of referral money. So the idea is, is you create something like, Tying us into your model, I could come up with a SaaS, or I could come up with a, um, or I could become an affiliate for a SaaS, and then, uh, and then get a lot of people to subscribe to that, and then charge them a, a setup fee. That's another way I could do it. 
So now I'm locking them in for refer for affiliate commissions and, 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 and since I'm the person who's recommending it and I'm the person who knows it so well, I'm charging these clients. And you said we need what? 250 from each one of them. Sure. Well, heck, uh, about $297, uh, one hour coaching and set up of three items in active campaign. I can do that. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. and, that, and that's a pretty good deal in today's marketplace. It's actually, it's actually a fair deal that is generous to the customer if you look at the rates for doing this stuff. So I would still feel adequately compensated and my other 19 clients would be getting one hell of a deal. It's out. So it, it would work for everybody. 100%. So what yeah, I wanted to do right there, Pete, I just wanted to show you in real time how I can take your concepts and turn them into action very quickly. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So another thing that we um, that I'm very interested in is you have, have I think, mentioned the design-driven mindset. So if you could just define that again, uh, design-driven mindset, and why is that critical for business growth? Yeah. Well, first, let me just define design because I think when most people hear the word, they think of, you know, pretty fonts and colors and, you know, uh-huh. what, something, what something looks like. You know, for me, design is the intersection of form and function where you know, you're solving a problem. So everything around us is designed. You know, the microphone I'm speaking into right now, that's, you know, it's a road microphone, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. You know, someone designed that product. The chair that you're sitting in or, or, or maybe standing in um, in Las Vegas, Adam, is, is designed. Everything is designed. So for me, as a, my background is in uh, design and engineering. And one of the things that I think designers and engineers both do really well is is they understand how to define and solve problems. And I, when I come out of business through a design-driven approach, much like you were just doing with, you know, explaining to your clients how they can convert, you know, traditional hourly models into uh, software as a service models, which is, you know, very common now. It's why we see so many people launching courses and Patreons and, you know, token gated communities that people can buy an NFT to have access to and all these other fancy things is really th- this idea of pay for access versus pay for product and just sort of really changing up things. But yeah. to answer your question about design driven, design driven is about being able to understand what is the problem that you're solving for? What is the audience having a a great sense of empathy for the audience and then coming up with a way to test a series of hypotheses, much like the scientific method to try something. A really good example of that, I'll use the example of, you just mentioned active campaign. So you're, you know, you're offering people, you know, a service to set them up. You know, one of the, the design driven approaches you might have is having a paid audit product or a free audit product that you're going to offer up to all of your clients. I'd imagine you have that already. And then from there, you're doing an evaluation, which is giving you an opportunity to get them to know you, get them to trust you and like you. And then ultimately they're going to want to buy from you. So that's designing that solution or designing that service and then testing it on an existing prospect or an existing customer is a great example of doing that. You know, again, I don't know if there's a particular industry that a lot of your customers fall into. Um, I couldn't help but notice I was just in a restaurant earlier today and I walked in and, um, you know, again, nowadays everyone's doing Uber Eats and, you know, Eat24 deliveries and whatnot. And I walked in and I couldn't help but notice that uh, the thing that these folks were offering was they weren't tapping into any of the local businesses that have you know group-based orders. So one of the things I asked them is, hey, in your Uber Eats, I see you've got an Uber Eats little terminal over here. You got this terminal. I asked a very specific question, again, being very design-driven. I said, you know, how are you servicing some of the local businesses? You know, are, are people currently doing um, group-based orders? And he said, yeah, we get group-based Uber Eats orders all the time. 
And I said, well, have you ever thought about going to, you know, direct to some of these local places and offering group-based orders so people can, you know, skip the Uber Eats fees that a lot of people like myself are spending money on every single day and you get to have a little bit more margin. That's a really good example of just a design-driven approach because you're taking yeah. a real business problem that people face um, because you're having a lot of empathy. And in, in this case, I have the empathy for the small, you know, restaurant owner, local restaurant where you know, they're struggling in some cases to make ends meet. And you're, I'm looking at all the profit that they're losing by essentially being a cloud kitchen, right? If, if you're just going to be delivering, you know, your business. So there's a tool I like to use just to make this really tactical for the group here. I use a tool called the business model canvas. Um, and for those of you that aren't familiar, just Google business model canvas PDF. Um, it's a really, really great tool. It's a workshop worksheet you can print out and it'll let you really figure out, you know, how do you make money? What are the different partnerships you have? And it's a fantastic way to sort of think about your business and the building blocks of your business so that you can take that design-driven approach. Um, I, I use a modified version of that that I've developed over the years, but that's one that anybody that's listening to this podcast now or in the future can grab. To give you an, to give you an idea of how low-hanging fruit that is and how many of our listeners' competition may miss that, uh, one of the cigar shops I hang out at moved locations about three months ago. They moved to a, a new shopping plaza about two miles from the previous one. And within that plaza, there are three restaurants. Uh, and of the three restaurants, one of them came down to the shop uh, around the time it opened and said, hey, just wanted to let you know we're, uh, we're three doors down and uh, we'll deliver to you. And here's 15 copies of our menu. Just give us a call and place your order and we'll bring it down. Well, who do you think gets a lot of their business? Now, bear in mind, I just said there are three restaurants in that plaza. I can't think what the other two are, but I know there's, a, there's an Italian place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think- how, that's how low-hanging fruit this is. Yeah. And this stuff sounds easy. If you're listening to this, you're probably being like, wow, like I'm listening to this. This is like the easiest, you know, marketing one-on-one advice on the planet. The reality is I walk into clients all the time. You know, my, my average consult fee is, you know, around $10,000 to just walk in and, and have a conversation with looking at a client. And I cannot tell you, Adam, in the audience, how many times I see the most fundamental, basic, simple things like this not being done. People focus on complex technology and digital transformation. They focus on spending time or money on the expensive things like that travel booking person that they didn't need to hire, right? Yeah. Because they're not going on too many trips. Really, I like to sort of take things, make them back to basics. Sometimes the path to transformation is just through simple optimization and growth hacks. And that's where I like to start because it's tactical, it's practical, and it helps move the needle. Yeah. Going back to the travel agent thing, if you are traveling twice a month, if you've become an international speaker from dominating stages all over the world, then yeah, at that point, it becomes one of the primary things you need to have an outsource partner for. But if it's like, eh, once a quarter, I go to a conference and I might have two speaking engagements. Well, with all the online booking tools, you're actually way ahead just doing it yourself. Or, or I mean, the, the alternative I'd offer up to folks if if they don't want to do that themselves, which I'm that person, is yeah. you can get just about, you, you talk about software as a service. 
you can get just about anything blank as a service these days. You can get travel as a service. You can get um, you know, calendar management as a service. Everything is as a service these days. So there's probably, I mean, I know of, I can't remember the name of the company that my ops team uses, but when we, you know, pre-pandemic, we used to have people on the road all the time uh, yeah. doing different consulting things. And we paid a service. It was very affordable. Um, and they charged a very, very tiny fee, you know, every time they booked, you know, a travel thing. So now you're eliminating the hard costs. You know, we're living in the gig economy today. And I think the challenge with most people is they get turned off by the gig economy. They want to own someone and have that person be full time um, and go through all the, you know, the, the things in their head that make them feel more secure and safe at night. When the reality is, you know, in some cases, the full time employee is actually a higher risk than some of these service based companies because the service company, if one of their people just drops off, quits, whatever, they've got a bunch of other people that have to deliver that service. If you've got that one person, let's call them the travel agent, um, and they're on vacation, or maybe they, ha- you know, they had a baby or their spouse had a baby, and now they're out on paternity and maternity leave all kinds of reasons that you can lose out on that person. So I, I always like to say, if you don't have a plan B, you don't have a plan A. Um, yes. I like and, that. That's yeah. like, that's like two is one and one is none. Absolutely. Well said, Adam. Yeah. Well, I have two quick points about that. Uh, it's back in the day when I was in a different business and folks would come to me and they say, you know what? What we're really looking to hire is a one-stop shop. So we just only have to deal with one company. <laughs> sure. And I would say, eh, I hope not. Not that I wouldn't love to have all your business, but looking at it from the business owner's perspective, let's say that let's say you have uh, you have Diane who's looking for a one-stop shop and she hires Steve's firm. Let's say Steve gets sick. Let's say Steve loses all his money and loses his team and now has to struggle to do everything himself, which will impact his deliverability. Let's say he doesn't decide he doesn't want to do it anymore and he exits stage left. Let's say he dies. Now what? Or what if Steve just wants to go on vacation? Now what? When you have a level of diversification and redundancy, now you have, as you said, a plan A because there's a plan B. So let's say Steve's firm goes out of business. But I've, in the meantime, been giving some of my work to Abdul's firm. Well, guess who can step in and cover some of the blanks while I find another plan B? My business can go basically uninterrupted. 100%. Yeah, but, if I, love, I, but if I, I rely just yeah. on Steve, I could be screwed. Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's one of the things that really surprises me. And I see this in one-person companies, and I see this in 20,000-person companies, which is a lot of the... The larger clientele that that digital surgeons, my core business serves, um, you know, in, above and beyond the independent stuff that I do, and I see this all the time where people fail to write things down. You know, they they capture way too much information between their ears, as I say, and they don't put that information down into systems. So one of the best pieces of advice that that I can give anyone, um, and I can give this advice because I was not the person up until recently that was taking this advice. Yeah, and and I paid the hard way, as you know, the hard cost of it, if you will, is doc. Document your products, document your services, document everything you do. You know, there's a ton of different tools out there that you can use where you can just step by step, you know, record screenshots or videos. I use a tool called Loom. And what I tell people is I'm like, record yourself doing that task, record yourself doing that activity. And people sometimes will sort of look at me kind of cross-eyed because I have a pretty large team of all different um, types of folks on the team. And when you do that, it's great for a few reasons. One 
it lets you take a vacation. You know, one of the things that why I think so many solopreneurs get burnt out is that they don't take time for self-care. And how can you take time for self-care if, you know, you got to always be doing all the different tasks and nobody else can take them on. So that, that's the benefit number one to being able to do that. The other day I was helping somebody out, a solopreneur, um, just doing them a favor because they're a member of a co-working community that I'm a part of. And I was like, hey, sign up for Notion. It's a really simple, easy tool. To, let's you store information. Sign up for Loom. They've got the free version. You can do up to five minutes for free and just help them record a couple of simple videos. And what was great is two things came out of it. One, if they need to take a vacation, they can kick somebody a link on how to do it. You know, if, if, if the trust yeah. is there, of course, but two, now they can look at their own process and say, wow, that's wildly inefficient. And that's where they can then open up those possibilities through that business model canvas I mentioned earlier to say, hey, maybe I can automate that thing. Maybe I can partner with Adam and, and Adam can help me, you know, set that thing up or I can partner with Abdul and Abdul can do this. And now you start to look at your business through what I like to call the geometry of business, which is look at all the different angles that you have or don't have on your business. You can't do that when you're inside the business working in the business every day. You got to take a step back. You got to figure out how to work on the business. And some yeah. people look at me and kind of give me, you know, cross eyes and say, Hey Pete, you know, I'm a personal trainer. I, I can't work on my business. I'm too busy, you know, on the floor working with my clients or doing this and that and doing billing. And I say, okay, what if you could do it one night a week? Could you dedicate one night a week to being able to do some of that work? And they say, yeah, I could do one night a week. Or, you know, what if one, one day a month, just like you do Adam with your, with your financial, you know, your, your financial reporting, you mentioned earlier, yeah. I think blocking off that time because what gets measured gets managed, what gets scheduled gets done. Um, and a lot of times people sort of just rely on the information in their head. Um, and I think, you know, we are not designed to, to be record keepers and scorekeepers of that We're kind not. of information. That's what these machines are here to help us with. Yeah, I discovered the power of what you just described in a very micro way. Uh, there's this uh, one client who's actually been with us for a very, 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 very long time. Uh, so he was with us even way back then. And it was an ongoing back and forth with him to get him to understand how to be able to post an article to his own blog. He wanted the ability to post to his blog whenever he felt like it. And we went back and forth with him. And finally, I actually just kind of got frustrated with it. So I turned on my Camtasia and I filmed myself posting an article to his blog. I said, look, you, here's how you do it. And if you notice, the video length is about seven minutes. This is pretty easy. I just went through it step by step by step. And uh, then I didn't hear anything for almost a day until I did hear from him. And he said, you know, I, 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 I saw that video you sent me. And as soon as I watched it, the first thing I did was I, was I Skyped my, my girlfriend in Norway to tell her that this is some of the best customer service I've ever received in all my years in business. Now, part of it is he just wanted to remind me for the 95th time that he had a hot young girlfriend in Norway. But the other piece of it was that uh, the other piece of it was that I realized I had something there because, and I didn't know this at the time, but what I discovered about him and other people as well, that they have different learning types. Some want to see bullet point lists. Some will not be able to read the bullet point list. I mean, they're literate, but they just cannot comprehend that format. They need to see watching over somebody's shoulder how it's done. Some people benefit from having both at the same time. But having the ability to say, 
look, this is a question that keeps coming up. And you know what? This is probably going to come up for other clients as well. So let me just make one now that I can give to other people when it's the same process. That saves a lot of time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, in the case of that that blog article thing, I think I don't want to get overly tactical or specific here, but, you know, one of the things that I would say to people is, you know, why don't you automate the entire thing using something like Zapier that'll just allow you to do it, you know, very, very easily. But you're absolutely right. I think what you're talking about is just, you know, this idea of like different learning modalities, right? So, you know, I like to think about things in terms of VAK, which is sort of a simple thing for visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. You know, some people are visual learners, some people are auditory learners, or, you know, based on sound, some people are kinesthetic learners, they have to do it themselves. What I like about tools like Loom is tools like Loom will automatically transcribe as you're using it. And you can use Loom, you can use Vidyard. There's a lot of tools out there that do that. Even Dropbox now has just launched a new new, um, beta feature called Dropbox Capture, where they're trying to kind of take some market share away from the Camtasias and the Looms of the world. But really, the nice thing about these tools is they'll give you the audio transcription. They'll give you the uh, the video where you can watch it. So you're able to check all those boxes of visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Um, there's some other tools out there. Again, I don't want to get into tools because you know, by the time this podcast launches, there'll be new tools out there. Um, so I like to sort of keep it back to fundamentals and principles. But yeah, I think what you're talking about is a really interesting thing. You know, making that person feel heard, feel seen. You know, letting them tell you about the girlfriend that they're proud of is, is something that you know made them feel special. Giving them a way to do it, even though that they don't necessarily need to or want to be the person to upload their blog, just knowing that they can change it. You know, I can't tell you the number of times, Adam, where I will have my team provide really detailed training materials for the clients and that helps them sleep at night. You know, they can either print out or use the platforms and um, it'll make their pillow a little bit more comfortable when they tuck it under the pillow at night. But at the end of the day, sometimes just having that system documented is half or all the battle. Um, In some cases, I've got tons of systems that are documented that I use here in my business and I never touch any of them. Um, I like to sort of look at this on a quarterly basis um, or a biannual basis to say, you know, how have my processes changed? How have our tools changed? Is there opportunity for evolution. What I'm always doing with my team, um, we use this thing called the four green lights, which is basically, I simplified all the, the, the metrics of importance of our business into four different traffic lights. Um, and the first and the most important is our team satisfaction, because we have you know, a large team of people that work all over the world. And you know what I would say is a happy team, first green light leads to a happy client. So customer yeah. satisfaction is the second green light. So a happy team leads to a happy client. And then if you got a happy team and a happy client, you're most likely going to be able to have impactful work. So the third thing is the impact of the work we're doing. Again, we're in the branding and marketing consulting world. So if we're not helping our clients grow their businesses, um, we want to fire ourselves because we're not adding value. And, and I don't like to not add value. And then the fourth thing is profit. And some people might be hearing this saying, wow, Pete, you're crazy. You know, Profit's fourth on your list. And I always say, profit is not a goal. Profit's a result. If you take care of your teams, if you take care of your customers, the profit will fall into place at the end. So that's what I like to say. And ultimately, if you can't deliver the service you're doing profitably, it's probably because you haven't done that that time-based audit that Adam and I were talking about earlier. So you can look at more efficient and effective ways to do the things that you're doing. Yeah. And what and what I love is how you uh, bifurcate between a result and a goal. Uh, so for our podcast reach system, uh, it's our it's our process for working with entrepreneurs to launch your podcast. Sometimes we get those folks where all they care about is how many listeners and downloads can they get. And first of all, I I kind of trashed that whole idea in a way because listeners and downloads are false vanity metrics, candidly. You're not really thinking deeply 
about how you're going to use a podcast for networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding, if all you're do- doing is looking at raw numbers. So you can buy listeners and downloads, people to click the play button and people to click the download button. So it makes it look like you have lots and lots and lots and lots of listeners and downloads. I mean, you can hire a bot farm to do that and it'll give you the numbers you need. However, when you treat getting listeners and downloads as a result of your goals rather than as the goal itself, it tends to happen in a way that is valuable and sustainable because achieving your goals aligns you with the audience that you need to attract to use the podcast as a business building tool, as a revenue generator. And it will attract the people who are going to keep tuning in, who are most likely to share it with other people who are also going to like it and also going to subscribe. Absolutely. Well said. And I, and I would rather have 50 listeners who are actually subscribed, who listen to 80% of my episodes, than 5,000 quote-unquote listeners, each of whom stop by once. I'll take Absolutely. the former every day of the week. So as we um, so as we wrap up here, and we have about five minutes. I want to go in one other direction because I think this is very important, and you did suggest that we try and cover it. Uh, this is something that I personally have found valuable, and I believe our listeners may as well. And one of the things you bring up is that meditation is a superpower. So if you could expand upon that, I think I know where you're going, but I want to I want to take the journey with you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, listen, the first place I like to start is to say, I use the term meditation as both a metaphor and a, and a specific reference to it. So I think something that you talked about generations earlier, something that is true for a whole generation is many generations and, and of all types struggle with self-care. I think now, you know, with what everything that, that people um, all over the world, but specifically, I'll just use the United States, which is the region that I'm the most um, of an expert in, I think many people have had mental health challenges these past couple of years that have come from isolation, that have come from financial challenges, that have come from just you know not being around people. And you know we are social animals and social creatures. You know we're one of the only species that when we're born, if we don't have another person take care of us, we will die. Unlike many animals that can just kind of live on their own um, without needing you know their mother essentially. So I think that being said, uh, self care is something that people typically don't exercise. I see that happen a lot with entrepreneurs. So what I used to say is meditation is a superpower. Meditation could be, you know, going for a run. Meditation could be going to exercise. Um, Meditation could be, you know, journaling or those types of things. For me, I look at meditation as the act of taking a moment to live in the present moment and just sort of shut down all the other distractions that are pulling in there. Now I do do a traditional meditation. You know, I sit every day. Um, I typically will meditate anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes a day. Um, and it's tough. It's tough to find the time for that, you know, as a, as a father, as a, a husband, as a business owner um, that's operating multiple businesses, but that 10 to 30 minutes a day, or if you don't have 10 to 30 minutes a day, um, I would challenge you on that. But if you don't, find five minutes a day, find three minutes a day, find 60 seconds a day um, to find a thing that's going to allow you to sort of get really present and step out of the thing, put down your phone. Um, I discovered meditation initially reading a book called 10% Happier, um, which is by Dan Harris, uh, who is a, you know, 
journalist newscaster type person. And he was on the, on a show and on national television, he basically had like a meltdown um, and he kind of couldn't speak. People thought he was having a stroke and really it was just sort of the culprit of burnout. Um, I think he was also doing some drugs, but there was, it was burnout and um, a number of other things. And the, the book was great because I was very cynical about meditation. Um, I've, I've been meditating every single day. Haven't missed a day in five years. Um, I've meditated there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I've meditated on airplanes and restaurant bathrooms in a car, you, you name it, just to make sure that, you know, so I don't turn into a pumpkin like Cinderella between before um, 12, 12 midnight. So it's, it's a focus, it's a practice and it's transformed my life. It's transformed. It's helped me get out of my own way. It's helped me become more self-aware. It's helped me fight bouts of depression and imposter syndrome and a number of different things. So with reading that book, what I liked about it is it helped me sort of have a cynical approach of meditation, which I thought was pretty funny. I then went on to try an app called Headspace. And then I got, I found myself only focusing on the great British accent that the guy had. Um, so then I moved on to an app called Calm. Um, and from mindfulness meditation, that, that's where I started to get a little bit more into transcendental meditation, um, which is more mantra-based meditation. But there's all kinds of different meditations. Um, the thing I just want to harp on for folks here is self-care is the superpower because the more you can be self-aware of yourself, the more you can live in the present moment, no matter what you believe in, whether you're religious or not, whether you're spiritual or not, we can all benefit from just taking a couple minutes for ourselves. Um, I'm sure we've all heard the old metaphor or adage, if you will, you know, what happens on an airplane? You, if, if the airplane drops pressure, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first, because if you don't put the oxygen mask on yourself first, you can't take care of your, your loved ones. You can't take care of your employees. You can't take care of your businesses and your customers. You got to take care of yourself first. Um, and as an entrepreneur who's burned out many times, who've, start, who've started, sold, and is continuing to build more businesses, what I would say is meditation is my superpower because it's enabled me to get present. It's enabled me to release and let go of some of the fears and the stresses that I, we all know that business can bring on a daily basis because we're all living it in some way, shape or form. So that's why it's superpower, Adam. I appreciate you asking the question. Uh, yeah, you are absolutely right about that. And I mean, to this day, the most powerful computer that I've ever seen is the one between our ears. The ability to go into your mind and the ability to possibly remap and reinterpret memories and experiences allows you to draw new lessons and new power from them that can take you places that up until now you've not imagined possible. That's a part of it that I enjoy the most. So I make a point of trying to meditate uh, at least a couple times a day anyway, at least once. And I find that in sometimes just dealing with certain situations, it can create sort of a timeout for myself that enables me to realign and refocus and do uh, doing things and having mindsets that are more helpful and valuable to me. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. So we are at the top of the hour. And I what I want people to do right now is if Anything that we've covered today is of interest to you and is something you're leaning into and decide that you want to discover more of, then visit Pete's website. It's at www.petesena.com, which is spelled for those of you who are out and about, P-E-T-E-S-E-N-A.com. And you'll see the opportunity to uh, 
to get on Pete's newsletter. And I also would suggest you check out his new podcast, which is called Forward Obsessed that he does with his co-founder, Dave Salinas. And I think it's, uh, I've had a chance to scan a couple of the episodes and I'm looking forward to diving in a bit myself because I'm always looking for that slight edge in my business as well. So Pete Senna, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.